This is the sixth day of this July 2023 seven-day session, and today we'll take up a koan in the Mumonkan, also known as the Gateless Gate. This is number 11, Joshu and Two Hermits. And uh, I'm going to take a stab at the the original Chinese name of of, of Joshu. These are he's a, he was a Chinese master. The Japanese rendered the name Zhao Zhou as Joshu, but I uh, see if we can stick to Zhao Zhou. And here, this is the case. Every every koan has uh, first the case, and then the commentary and the verse by. Zen master Wu Men, Mumon. That is every every koan in the Mumon Khan has uh, the three parts. So the first, the case. Zhao Zhou went to a monk's hut and said, "Are you in? Are you in?" The hermit lifted up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, "The water is too shallow." for a large ship to anchor here, and he went away. He then went to another hermit's and called out, Are you in? Are you in? This hermit also held up his fist. Zhao Zhou said, Freely you give, freely you take away, freely you bestow life, freely you kill, and made a profound bow. So uh, Zhao Zhou appears in more koans in the Zen tradition than any other master. Um, we have a lot of biographical material on him. Uh, I'll turn first to uh, Andy Ferguson's Zen, Zen's Chinese Heritage, the masters and their teachings. We read from this earlier in Sashin. His dates are 778 to 897. Again, this is the Tang, the great Tang dynasty. And he was a disciple of the also famous uh, Nanshuan, Nansen in uh, Japanese. It says that he, he had his first great awakening at the age of 18. And then he spent uh, several decades uh, training under Nanshuan, his teacher, until Nanshuan died. And then at that point, Zhao Zhou set out traveling on pilgrimage uh, to visit other masters, other, other monasteries, to, uh, to f- further refine his practice. Zhao Zhou's fame spread throughout China. Uh, although he had 13 Dharma heirs, his lineage soon died out. Yeah, there seems to be no... The, the greatness of the teacher doesn't seem to uh, guarantee that the lineage will, 
last. You can only imagine the different, the different uh, social, psychological, political factors behind a, a lineage continuing. Certainly not make the mistake of thinking there was anything deficient about his lineage. You need, uh, you need more than a great teacher to, to, for a lineage to continue. Uh, he's also very famous for having uh, reportedly lived to the age of 120. In, um, in Chinese uh, astrology, the kind that you, the kind that you see on the placemats in Chinese restaurants with the twelve animals, but uh, I learned uh, it's far more refined than that, much more sophisticated than that. Um, a, a life cycle is uh, sixty years. Um, this is why. Uh, the in, in in Asia, sixtieth uh, birthday is a time of great uh, celebration. The fact that uh, Zhao Zhou's reported age is is double that, one twenty, um, makes you wonder a little bit. Besides the the most 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 famous of koans. Uh, the, does a dog have Buddha nature? Mu. Uh, here are some other exchanges uh, with uh, Zhao Zhou and others. First, the one is about his meeting uh, the man who would become his longtime master, Nan Chuan. Uh, when uh, the young Zhao Zhou approached him, he was lying down and resting. And uh, He asked Zhao Zhou, where have you come from? And Zhao Zhou said, I've come from Ryushang, which uh, the translator here tells us means omen figure. Nanchuan said, did you see the standing omens figure? And then Zhao Zhou said, no, but I've seen a reclining Tathagata. Uh, Buddha, a reclining Buddha, obviously referring to Nanchuan. Well, this got Nanchuan up off his <laughs> chaise lounge, and and uh, he asked, as a novice monk, do you have a teacher or not? Zhao Zhou said, I have a teacher. Nanchuan said, who is your teacher? Zhao Zhou stepped in front of Nanchuan, made a prostration and said, in the freezing winter cold, a prostrate monk only asks for the master's blessings. And at this, Nanshuan approved his response and permitted him to enter the monk's hall and obviously become his student. When uh, I was briefly in on pilgrimage in uh, Burma, now... Uh, Myanmar, I guess. Uh, I spent a week there visiting temples and uh, was kind of stunned and 
amused to see these uh, these monks, these Theravada monks, uh, stretched out on these uh, kind of lounges. I don't know how else. Um, in the most insouciant kind of uh, sprawling kind of way, um, they just exuded indifference and cockiness. Um, just a little footnote here: uh, in in uh, Southeast Asian countries, some 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 Southeast Asian countries, well, Thailand for sure, but maybe they're similar in Burma. Uh, to become a monk is, uh, is is no lifetime commitment. You, you, they might do it for three months or six months, and uh, I've been told by many people that it's it's a little bit like uh, serving in the Israeli army. You just you just, you're expected to do it. You you go in for three months or whatever, and then you may leave, and then you may go back in later. Um, what really slew me was the way, when they would lie there uh, with their sometimes they're lying down with their legs crossed one over the other uh, raised up I don't know if you can picture that but it's not it's not unheard of but anyway lying there and with a big old stogie that they're <laughs> smoking in the most cocky way well there's nothing here about Nanshuan smoking a cigar, but uh, it's interesting. Where would that be where he approached, where Zhao Zhou approached him and he was lying, uh, reclining somewhere? Anyway, there are so many uh, koans that, that I won't read uh, that involve Zhao Zhou. Um, so I'll just stick to the non-koan anecdotes here. One day, Zhao Zhou asked Nan Xuan, where do people with wisdom go when they die? In other words, we could assume he means when, when the enlightened die, where do they go? And Nan Xuan says, they go to be water buffaloes down at the base of the mountain. Zhao Zhou said, thank you for your instruction. Nan Xuan said, Last night, during the third hour, the moon reached the window. It sounds, I mean, it's hard to know what, quite what he meant there. It sounds like approval of uh, Zhao Zhou's response. But the thing about the water buffalo, this is uh, in the tradition, uh, the Zen tradition, that uh, after awakening, uh, we go down uh, the mountain, Going up the mountain is on the way up to awakening, and then after awakening, we go down to the base of the mountain to become water buffaloes. Uh, water buffalo being the sort of the, the quintessential symbol of service. If 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 awakening has any purpose at all, it's to serve, to then help others.
One day, Zhao Zhou was sweeping. A monk asked, the master is a great worthy. Why are you sweeping? By the way, by the time he began teaching, he was 80. Uh, so all of these dialogues with him as the master means he's 80 or 90 or 100 or more. A monk asked, the master is a great worthy. Why are you sweeping? Zhao Zhou said, dust comes in from outside. The monk said, it is a pure temple. Why then is there dust? This is, uh, the monk is no beginner. He's, he's uh, sort of challenging Zhao Zhou. Uh, the, 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 it's a pure temple. Why then is there dust? And Zhao Zhou said, there's some more. The next one is a little longer. Uh, Zhao Zhou addressed the monks. I'm just pulling out an extract from a long passage. Essential mind is unborn. The myriad dharmas are flawless. Try sitting for 20 or 30 years, and if you still don't understand, then cut off my head. The empty flowers of delusion and dreams, disciples work so hard to grab them. Uh, just the myriad dharmas are flawless. Dharmas just means things, phenomena, everything. Everything we can imagine is flawless. continues, when nothing deviates from mind, then the myriad dharmas are but one thusness. Since it can't be attained from outside, what will you try to grasp? You're like goats, haphazardly picking up just anything and keeping it in your mouth. And then he quotes uh, Yao Shan, another great master, People ask me to reveal it, but when I teach, it is like something taken from a dog's mouth. And then Zhao Zhou says, what I teach is like something taken from a dog's mouth also. Take what I say as dirty. Don't take what I say as clean. Don't be like a hound always looking for something to eat. This is, a, this is an acknowledgement that uh, many of the great masters made, the acknowledgement that somehow this, just as it is, is only diminished through words. One, uh, one master Put it this way, he said, uh, "It is like a, a, a cup of, it's like a, a cup of fine soup befouled by rat droppings."
it is in our tradition to give talks. Uh, that's what teachers do. Um, but we do so knowing that it's a, it's a double-edged sword, that we can uh, cause misunderstandings by, depending on how the words are taken. Sometimes I have to deal with those misunderstandings in Doksan after Teisho. Try, try not to think about it too much. Just speak from one's heart, one's experience, and hope that uh, some benefit from it. But uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is the last day of Sashin, and I'm going to again um, not give a Teisho. Uh, there's something about the last day of a seven-day Sashin something about the magnificent silence that I just don't want to monkey with. Another time, Zhao Zhou asked a monk, how many sutras do you read in one day? The monk said, sometimes seven or eight, sometimes ten. Zhao Zhou probably knew that this, this monk was enamored of the sutras and was a voracious reader of them, studying of them. Sometimes sevens, or sometimes eight, sometimes ten. Zhao Zhou said, oh, then you can't read sutras. Monk said, Master, how many do you read in a day? Zhao Zhou said, In one day, I read one word. Another time, Zhao Zhou entered the hall, addressing the monk, saying, When a person of Understanding, I'm, I'm doing my own translation that I, that I remember from uh, many years. Uh, when a person of true understanding expounds a, true doc, a, a false doctrine, it becomes true. When a person of no understanding expounds a true doctrine, it becomes false. It's a very important point in Zen. It's not the words, it's not the doctrine, it's the understanding or the lack of understanding behind it. One teacher can say the same thing as another teacher, but it can, uh, one can be true and the other false.
have some uh, turning to a different source here. This someone, a student many years ago, gave me a collection of short exchanges with Zhao Zhou. Uh, someone asked, Master, where is your mind focused? Zhao Zhou said, where there is no design. He was, uh, uh, my guess is that, that Zhao Zhou, like uh, most of these great masters in the Tang dynasty, or the Sung dynasty, his practice was shikantaza, uh, just bare attention, bare awareness of everything inside and outside uh, without any object of concentration. So then where is your mind focused where there's no design? You could also take, this might be going too far, but you could take the word design in the old-fashioned way of having a, uh, a scheme or an ambition where there is no design. Here's another jewel. A monk asked, what is the principal concern of the one wearing Buddhist robes? And Zhao Zhou said, not to deceive himself. Someone asked, when the one, this is an awkward translation, I'm trying to make it better on the spot, when the one moving toward liberation vows to strive for the utmost enlightenment, how about that? Zhao Zhou said, when not yet liberated, you are used by enlightenment. When liberated, you use it. So before awakening, the thought of it is, is just a blight on the mind. To hold it in the mind is something we are grasping for. Afterward, uh, our job is to use it for the sake of all sentient beings. This is one I particularly like. A monk asked, what is the ultimate word? Zhao Zhou coughed. The monk said, that's it, isn't it? And Zhao Zhou said, alas, they won't even let me cough. <laughs> Another very short one. Someone asked, naturalness, what is that? Zhao Zhou said, this asking is in itself unnatural. Someone asked, the way of the monk, what is it? Zhao Zhou said, being detached from the way. Again, the, the danger of 
internalizing labels, identities, One more, I swear. Uh, a monk saw a cat and asked, I call it a cat. Master, what do you call it? Zhao Zhou said, you calling it a cat. All right. In the small amount of time we have left, I'll go to the koan itself. Zhao Zhou went to a monk's hut and said, Are you in? Are you in? Um, one, uh, another translation of this challenge is, uh, uh, are, 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 is the master in? Are you, the master, present? Referring, of course, to this original nature of ours. Are you in? Are you in? The hermit raised his fist. Zhao Zhou said, the water is too shallow for a large ship to anchor here. And off he went. He then went to another hermit's. By the way, sometimes uh, this is cast, the, the, the case is cast as uh, two different hermits, but it doesn't matter. In terms of a koan, it doesn't matter a bit. If there are one or two. He then went to another hermit's and called out, are you in? Are you in? The hermit also raised his fist. Zhao Zhou said, Freely you give, freely you take away, freely you bestow life, freely you kill. And he made a profound bow. So on the, on the, on the face of it, he certainly seems to be finding fault with the response of the first hermit, and then with the second hermit finding it, approving it completely. I, when, when people work on this koan, I, I tell them right off the bat, let's, let's save you some time and just assume that they're, hell, they're raising their fists exactly the same. It's not really giving away too much to say that. It just makes it all the more perplexing. They're holding up, raising their fists exactly the same. So why then does he say to the first one what appears to be a disapproval and to the second one very strong approval? That's the, that's the nub of the koan. These, uh, these masters uh, were always watching the monks and other, other masters, watching to discern their level of understanding, where, where they're coming from. And there's really very little that, that gives, gives you more information than to see how Anyone, doesn't have to be a monk, how anyone responds to praise 
and criticism. It's a great test. In, uh, in Buddhism, there are what are called the eight winds. Winds being uh, that which has the, those which have the potential to unsettle us, knock us off balance. And these are the eight winds, the four pairings. One is, yes, praise and blame. Another is pleasure and pain. Uh, the next is fame and disrepute. And the last pair is gain and loss. Each one of these, each one of these, um, we can face in a day, in a, just going through a day in our life, we can face any one or all of these. And they will indicate where to what degree we're attached to the self. And it's, it's uh, acquisitive nature. There's a, uh, a passage from one of my favorite books of universal... Wisdom, let's say, this is from uh, The Man of Many Qualities, A Legacy of the I Ching. It's a, it's a rich, rich compilation of stories from all over the world, from all different centuries, um, based on the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. And uh, here's how this one goes. Man's mind is more treacherous than mountains and rivers, and more difficult to know than the sky. For with the sky you know what to expect in respect of the coming of spring, summer, autumn, and winter, and the alternation of day and night. But man hides his character behind an inscrutable appearance. There are those who appear tame and self-effacing, but conceal a terrible pride. Uh, Roshi um, once or twice said to me, uh, watch out for the quiet ones. And you can, you can see that even with, the, uh, with these uh, mass shootings. So often they say, oh, he was so quiet. He was just kept to himself. But to continue here, there are those who appear tame and self-effacing but conceal terrible pride. There are those who have some special ability but appear to be stupid. There are those who are compliant and yielding but always get their objective. We know these people, don't we? Some are hard outside but soft inside. and Some are slow without but impatient within. Therefore, a gentleman, gentleman is the the word used in the Confucian uh, tradition to mean someone who's uh, highly developed, wise, a, a wise person. Therefore, a gentleman sends a man to a distant mission, uh, to a distant mission, in order to test his loyalty. 
<coughs> he employs him nearby in order to observe his manners. He gives him a lot to do in order to judge his ability. He suddenly puts a question to him in order to test his knowledge and makes a commitment with him under difficult circumstances to test his ability to live up to his word. He trusts him with money in order to test his heart and announces to him the coming of a crisis to test his integrity. He makes him drunk in order to see the inside of his character and puts him in female company to see his attitude toward women. Submitted to these nine tests, a fool always reveals himself. But uh, such an elaborate regimen is unnecessary in ordinary uh, the course of things in our lives. If we're uh, if we're attentive, if we're mindful, uh, we see people revealing themselves all the time. In terms of Zen, it's uh, it's always on display: how they walk, how they carry themselves, posture, how they respond. Above all, how they respond to anything in particular, of course, especially uh, praise and, and blame. I used to say to people on staff, something would happen, who left the, who left the lid off the yogurt in the staff kitchen? And, uh, and I always, I always was, was proud of uh, one who would, anyone who would say, I did it, I did it which hasn't always been the case over the years. Sometimes just silence, silence. My poor mother used to go crazy. Uh, there were six of us kids, and there was something, I don't know, a vase broken or, or something, and she'd say, who did it, who did it? She'd go around interviewing each person. <laughs> and, and the last one would say, no, I didn't. And she'd say, nobody did it, nobody did it. But uh, it's, just, it's, it's just about not having your mind clogged with thoughts. When your mind is, is, is empty, relatively free of thoughts, we see so much, we hear so much, we sense so much. There are, uh, there are some koans that have kind of a dual level to them. Uh, they can, uh, and on the one hand, uh, the master is, what his response to the monk is um, for the purpose of changing the monk. Um, we, we sometimes call this sort of the, the, the training or the teaching aspect. This is teaching in the conventional sense. I'm going to teach you something. There's that. Uh, it can be. But then even, even simultaneous with that can be the, the essential aspect. That is, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with changing the monk, helping the monk. It's just the way things are. 
what's going on here with Zhao Zhou responding in opposite ways to uh, the very same response on the part of the hermits. We don't know uh, how the hermits responded. The, each one responded to his response. It's not important in terms of the koan. We might reflect how would I respond if my teacher uh, said, ah, the water's too shallow for a large ship to anchor here. Or the other way, the deep bow. We'll go on now to the commentary. That's the commentary by Zen Master Wu Men, Mumon in Japanese. And he says, he just kind of, kind of articulates the dilemma here. Both stuck up their fists. Why did he approve one and not the other? Just say, what is the core of the complication? If you can give a turning word on this point, you will see that Zhao Zhou is unrestrained in saying what he wants to say, utterly free either to help the one rise up or to push the other down. But though this is so, remember that the two hermits also saw through Zhao Zhou. Further, if you say the one hermit is superior and the other inferior, you do not have an open eye. Neither have you an open eye if you suppose there is no difference between the two hermits. I'm just going to leave this with no comment. No comment on the commentary. Leave it for for people when they work on this in Doksan. Then the verse, Wumen's verse. His eye is a shooting star, his spirit like lightning. He is a death dealer, a life-giving sword. Talking here about uh, Zhao Zhou. And then this, these last two lines, he's a death dealer, a life-giving sword. With respect to the death dealer, there's one, one more little exchange here involving Zhao Zhou. One day, Zhao Zhou was walking with an official in a park. A rabbit saw them and became alarmed and ran away. The official asked Zhao Zhou, Master, you are a great worthy. When the rabbit saw you, why did it run away? You know, as if the rabbit can recognize his Zen master. It's such silliness. You know, what about the startle response? What about the, any animal's reflex you're a great worthy, great master. Why would the rabbit run away? And Zhao Zhou says, because I'm good at killing. <laughs> it is squarely in the, in the middle of a, of a Zen teacher's job description 
to kill when killing is necessary. That is, to expose the, the ego when it's called for. And that can mean, well, obviously means correcting at times, correcting a student, it can mean harshness. Compassion doesn't have to be just sweet and approving. Sometimes it's just, it's the most compassionate thing to, to speak sharply to a student. Or it doesn't have to be a teacher and a student. It can be, uh, think of a good friend. You have a good friend who you think is, is making a mistake, is, is uh, deceiving himself, to use a phrase we read earlier, a response by Zhao Zhou not to deceive himself. That is, that is our ultimate aim. And uh, we can at times need to, uh, to be strong and uh, what, they, what they call here, kill. And there are other times, of course, when it's the opposite, the affirming. Not the negative, but the affirming. And different teachers have different ways they use these uh, in different proportions. Roshi Kaplow uh, was very harsh, uh, very critical. Uh, I think, honestly, I could say that in all my years with him, I could count the fingers on on one hand uh, the number of times he praised me. And then when I went to Japan, and was training with a teacher there, it was the opposite. I was uh, baffled. It was just all kinds of praise. And in that, in that context, uh, one way to understand that is that in Japan, that you're receiving praise, you're expected to live up to that praise. You've got a responsibility now. A life-giving sword, double-edged sword. All right, we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <laughs>